1: What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Pakel. Welcome into The Hard Count. This is The People Show. So everything that you know, everything that you love about college football, it happens here on a daily basis. We do this live show on Sunday nights, 6 Central, 7 Eastern. After your college football Saturday has sort of concluded, and you've got all the storylines, you put them neatly in a little basket, come here, we'll talk about it, we'll unpack it, we'll have a good time. We are so glad you are tuned in with us live in living color. We do daily content on this channel, so make sure you're subscribed, but we do this thing live on Sunday nights. No more safety net. We're getting this thing rolling. It was a setup Saturday of sorts. What do we mean by that? It means this week was in a lot of ways, a trap situation for a variety of teams. You saw some teams have close calls. You saw some teams pass that test with flying colors, but we're gonna talk about all of it in its entirety again. We are doing a Q&A at the end of this deal. We would not be the people show if we didn't include the people in the show. You feel me? So at the end of this deal, going to go to the live chat. So get your questions in now. We're going to answer some of those. Bring on Nick Brake, the go to production, and have him break those down for us. We'll answer them in real time. It'll be a blast. So again, right now, submit your questions to the live chat. Get it going, and we'll get this thing rolling. We have a lot to talk about tonight. First and foremost, going to talk a lot about the Red River. I'm going to start the show off with that. I tweeted it out. My man of my word, Oklahoma and Texas. It was a Red River for the ages and not for the right reasons if you're an Oklahoma fan. LSU went, well, I'll rephrase that. LSU went nowhere, actually. LSU probably took a step backwards. Tennessee went to Death Valley and absolutely handled business in Baton Rouge. Send a message to the rest of the college football world that Henan Hooker and Josh Heupel and company, they are for real. We need to change the way that we're talking about them. Going to get to that a little bit later in the show. Also want to talk about Alabama and Texas A&M. Nick Saban, God bless him. His heart is probably pounding a little bit faster than he would like it to today after last night's scare against Texas A&M. It was Jimbo versus Saban. It was the battle of the backup quarterbacks. Gave you... All you needed and then some in terms of entertainment value. Going to break that down in its entirety. Going to talk about USC. They passed a test last night against Washington State. That was very much a set-up Saturday situation. Was impressed by how they played. It's looking more and more like the college football playoff may run through Los Angeles. And not just because of USC. UCLA also took care of business against Utah. Utah falling, sus- excuse me, falling susceptible to set up Saturday. A lot of S's, a lot of alliterations on this show. I absolutely love it. Finally, gonna give you our top four. We got a new number one team. Major shakeup within the top six. And I think you're gonna make sure you're there for that. All right, it's gonna be a good time. And then obviously concluding with the people joining the show, getting some Q&A going, gonna be a real good time. So with all that being said, let's jump into Red River. And Texas took Oklahoma, to the woodshed. This game went how I think a lot of people thought it would, to the sense that Texas was dominant. I don't know that a lot of people that weren't heavily biased towards the burnt orange thought it would be 49 to 0. Dylan Gabriel didn't end up playing in this game. Quinn Ewers was wheeling and dealing the entirety of the day, and Oklahoma is just down bad. We're going to talk about what this means for both programs going forward, but some of the keys to this game. Talking about what B. John Robinson had to do going into the game, I was expecting him to step out there and and be the guy that really led the charge for Texas because there has been conversations around B. John Robinson dating back to last year about him being a guy in the Heisman Trophy race, about him being a really high NFL draft pick. And in this kind of scenario, you need your running back to set the tone. Where you have a young quarterback stepping in, it's his first full-length start for four quarters. I mean, I know he started against Louisiana Monroe. I know he started against Alabama. But in a moment that really could have been very, very big and very dangerous for Texas with an Oklahoma team seemingly on their last breath, for Bijan Robinson to take so much off Quinn Ewer's plate and be the catalyst for this offense... He's got an NIL deal for some mustard, but he brought the sauce yesterday. That's cringy, I know, but it's the truth. Bijan Robinson over 120 yards, and it just changed the entire complexion of this game for a couple of reasons. First, Texas was able to just live in comfortable situations. Look at the numbers. They were 10 of 15 on third down. You don't go 10 of 15 on third down living in third and eight, third and nine. You're living right around third and three, third and two, third and one, much more convertible situations for your offense. And that only happens when the run game's operating effectively like B. John Robinson allowed it to. On top of that, what Bijan Robinson did for the pass game cannot be overstated. Those of you that know Steve Sarkeesian and kind of know what he does offensively, first off, he's a wizard, like a Hogwarts grad. Dude's just nice with the playbook. But so much of what he does is predicated on getting that run game going. He runs the RPO system, and I'm not going to fan-splain to you and give you the whole RPO breakdown. Basically, if you run the ball effectively, you then have the opportunity to throw the ball effectively off of that. And that's kind of his whole mantra. So once Bijan Robinson got going early, those windows for Quinn Ewers, that green grass for the wide receivers, it was just there for the taking. And you saw in that touchdown, Three or four of those linebackers for Oklahoma, they jumped up right away, won the two yards. Boom, quick strike to Xavier Worthy, candy from a baby. So Bijan Robinson, what he did on the ground yesterday, he was the catalyst, he led the charge. That made a huge difference for the quick start that Texas was able to get offensively. And they sustained that for the rest of the game, obviously. 49 points, good night. It also allowed for a really clean game for Quinn Ewers. Like we talked about, with that run game getting going, you sort of put the secondary on their heels a little bit. Because if I'm a safety for Oklahoma and Bijan Robinson's running at six yards of carry like he was yesterday, I might need to help a little bit, right? I might need to have to go tackle big number five, just the way that it works. Because obviously our second level of this defense isn't routinely getting it done. And when that happens, Again, much more open window. So Quinn Ewers was able to sit back there and more or less have target practice. Had the one interception. I'm not overly concerned about that, but we talked about it for Texas going into this game. If Oklahoma was going to win, they would have to create chaos. They would have to make it messy. They were able to do none of that. It was a clean game for Quinn Ewers, and that was the byproduct. Big points for Texas. Bad day for Oklahoma, to put it simply. Now... I'm going to preface this next key to the game, this next hinge point, if you will, like we like to call it here on the hard count. There is a, a, a harsh warning here coming, all right? We're going to say something pretty harsh when it comes to the Oklahoma offense. Dylan Gabriel didn't play yesterday. Kind of gave us all a good little tease. Twitter was on fire for like 10 minutes when he took the first couple snaps with the ones in the pregame. Credit to Oklahoma, credit to that staff. Dylan Gabriel probably wasn't ready to play after the hit that he took, being a protocol. Davis Bevel had a rough day at the office, to say the least. I mean, it, he threw for less than 100 yards. It was abysmal. There was nothing that even resembled an offensive output for Oklahoma yesterday. And so we talked all about what Texas did offensively and how good Quinn Ewers is and how good Bijan John Robinson is and all the playmakers they got. Folks, they could have kicked a field goal yesterday and won the game. That's how behind Oklahoma is offensively. And we're going to talk more about the makeup of this team and the scheme and all that, but... As a whole, you just can't look so – I don't even know what the right word is. So JV in a word is what they looked like yesterday. I mean, they were just 3 of 15 on on third down. They had nothing that even resembled a rhythm offensively. They tried the wildcat a little bit. I was confused why they got away for that, as that was the only thing that was even remotely working for them. And not only is that bad because you're not scoring points, when you go 3 of 15 on third down, guess what that does to your defense? They're able to get a quick drink of water, a little bit of Gatorade, back on the field. Like, you can only be on the field for so long as a defense before you start to wear down. And the Oklahoma defense, for starters, isn't really that great. So those two things compounded on each other, and that was a big reason why Oklahoma had the showing that they did. I don't know if it's Davis Bevel's fault, I don't know if it's a scheme fault. They need to, like, kind of simplify for him. I don't know if you bring General Booty into the game and get social media on fire with him and all the memes and all that. Like, there has to be something that changes for Oklahoma going forward because whatever they had yesterday with Davis Bevel, that ain't it, fam. That ain't it. Texas also, going back to sort of another key to this game, Texas, credit to them, had the quarterback to capitalize on everything that Oklahoma wasn't doing well. We talk all about Oklahoma's defense and all of the miscues and issues they have. I mean, they got more problems than a math book, to put it simply. But that's all for naught if you don't have a quarterback that can drop the hammer when a team's exposed like that. And Quinn Ewers, credit to him, he just looked different yesterday. I said it on our program that was out this morning. I haven't seen a quarterback be able to stretch the field like that at Texas since Colt McCoy. Now, is that high praise? 100%. Are we being a victim of the moment right now? It's very possible. But what Quinn Ewers did yesterday, in a lot of ways lived up to the billing that he had when he, I want to say graduated high school early. I was going to say graduated high school, but he only did three years. He lived up to that billing. And you could tell by his composure and the way that that moment was never too big for him, that was contagious. That was a thing that I think spread across this Texas program and this Texas offense. I mean, he just operated, he was a surgeon, and was able to make the throws that were available to him from this Oklahoma defense. If you miss on those deep throws, you allow Oklahoma to stay in the game. If Quinn Ewers isn't dialed in like he was yesterday, you allow Oklahoma more time to sort of gather themselves offensively and try and scratch and claw into this game, but... Quinn Ewers with the deep throws he connected on, especially to Sanders, those were just some haymakers, man. Like those were just ones that take the life from you as a program, as a defense. Quinn Ewers being able to capitalize the way that he did and the composure he showed yesterday in a huge game and again, could have been a very dangerous spot for Texas told me a lot about what this program can be with him behind the wheel. So let's zoom out a little bit here. Let's just kind of take a second and put this game to the side. Where are these programs at after this game? I want to start with Oklahoma because I think that is the more interesting piece right now. Because if you watch this program, you know we felt very good about Oklahoma coming into the year. For reasons that I think we still feel good about for the future. Maybe not this year, but for the future. Because you look at this defense and you say, oh my gosh, dude. If you were to sit down with Brent Venables and say, my guy. What is going on? Like, you, you turn on the tape and you're like, what are we doing over here on defense? What's going on in the secondary? I promise you, Brent Venables would say, it's not the defense that I coach. That's not the defense that I, that's not how I draw it up. It's not my assignment kind of football. Same thing with Jeff Lebby. You turn on the tape, have him go through the offense with you, and then you compare it to what's on the field, two vastly different pictures. So what do I mean by saying all of this? The defense and the offense that you're seeing right now at Oklahoma I promise you, Brent Venables and Jeff Levy do not claim, they do not endorse. What they're doing right now in Norman is not something that either of these coaches would say that they would put their name next to in the sense that, yeah, that's that's what we think is a solid representation of what we want to do offensively or how we draw it up. You just have guys not on the same page. And there's a lot of conversation around maybe they're worn down, maybe they're tired, maybe it's too much for them. I don't know what it is evidently it's going to take some time to bake. It's going to be a revamp under Brent Venables. Now, still a lot of football left, still halfway through the season. How do they respond? Seems like we've been asking that question the last three weeks for Oklahoma. You hope they can get it together, but I just want to see some bite from them right now because in the future, you would imagine with how good these coaches are and given their credentials where they've done it successfully before, they'd be able to get it together. Maybe that's a strong assumption. That's how we're rolling right now. But everybody talking about fire levy, this Brent Venables thing isn't working. Just relax for a second. Just, just, just hang on. This isn't them. This isn't the thing that they're preaching. They're not signing off on what's going on on the field. Give it some time. It's going to be a revamp. For Texas, we talked about it this morning. This could be a new Texas because there were several things that I saw from this game that I haven't seen from Texas in the past. The first of which being Texas in the past, they played down to the level of competition. Everybody and their mother knew that Oklahoma was down bad heading into this game. The spread was seven. Most people would tell you they expected Texas to win by more than that. We did on this program. Texas of the past would have sort of played around, played down to how Oklahoma was. It's a rivalry game. The emotion gets the better of them. That wasn't the case yesterday. They showed up at the office, went to work, clocked in, clocked out, 49-0, give us that gold hat, we're out of here. We haven't seen Texas be that businesslike in a really long time. Second thing I was impressed with from Texas, they checked a box they were supposed to check. Last season, they weren't doing that. Look at Kansas. Look at that game a season ago. That was their one nail-in win. Hey, we're going to get that win, kind of get some morale back. Took an L. Look at the second half of a lot of games they played the rest of the way last year. Up at half, took an L. They checked the box they were supposed to check. They beat an Oklahoma team that was down bad, took care of business. The, the, the teams that end up progressing and doing good things in November and eventually December and January, they checked the boxes they're supposed to check. Hadn't seen that from old Texas. Saw that from them yesterday. Finally, there was an edge from Texas. There was an edge that I don't think we've seen in a really long time from them. And it may not show up in the stat sheet. You might have to go back and watch the film. You might have to go and look at guys that did it without the football. Jordan Whittington is a phenomenal example of this. On Keelan Robinson's touchdown, they threw him a swing pass. Jordan Whittington's out front blocking, just deleting defensive backs. Just absolutely control out, delete, out of the frame. Done. Thanks for playing. When your receiver does something like that, when your receiver's playing with that kind of an edge, that kind of mentality, I promise you that's not just a Jordan Whittington thing. Like, obviously, he's one of their leaders, but that is not just a Jordan Whittington thing. That's program-wide. And that's, again, something that I don't think we've seen Texas have an edge like that in a long time. So are we reading into this too much? Sure, maybe so. But in this game itself, If you want to just silo this game, this was a Texas team that we haven't seen really since Mac Brown was coaching. Now, will they get Mac Brown kind of results? Are they going to win a national championship? Are they going to win the Big 12? The Big 12 is obviously a huge toss-up. National championship is not going to happen this year. But for the steps they're taking under Sark in year two, you're starting to see some proof of concept. You're starting to see some ROI on the culture. That we've heard so much about being re-pieced together. So again, Texas dominates the Red River, forty-nine to zero. Excuse me, forty-nine to zero. They go home with a gold hat. That Big Twelve conference is going to be an absolute demolition derby. Like TCU put it on Kansas yesterday. Who knows what Baylor's going to do going forward? Dave Aranda never count him out. Oklahoma State found a way to win gritty. Like, that's going to be a fun conference to watch, man. They may not have a team that represents them in the playoff. Again, they could. They very well may. But regardless, some good football going on down there in the Big 12 Conference. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel. We do a lot of things on here that you tell us to do. We are very much audience-driven. And so when you subscribe, that gives us more data to do more of what you like to see. So come join the party. Go ahead subscribe to the channel. Tennessee took it to LSU in Death Valley, 42-13. And the question coming into this game, set up Saturday, right? It was set up for Tennessee. They have Alabama this coming week, coming to Knoxville. Whole lot of implications on that game. But they have to go to Death Valley first against an LSU team that has a really good head coach in Brian Kelly, a lot of talent under the hood. They've been feisty all year long. In Tennessee, very similar to what we saw Texas do, clock in, clock out, give us that W, we're out of here, let's hit the road. I was extremely impressed by Tennessee yesterday. Some of the deciding factors, that front seven for Tennessee, we talked about the back end of this defense all week long. What are they going to do? They got Kayshawn Butte over there. They got Malik Neighbors over there. They got some dudes, right? We haven't seen it yet, but they got some powder kegs on the outside. What happens if there's a spark? What happens if they get rolling? That front seven just said no. We got you. Took so much pressure off what they asked those DBs to do because they sacked the quarterbacks five times. They had nine tackles for a loss. They allowed 55 yards rushing. That is dominance in the trenches. And that just makes your life so much easier if you're a defensive back. Because if you're Jaden Daniels, I know we talked about him having to unhitch the wagon. Keyshawn Butte is a peacock. Gotta let him fly. It never really got to that. He never really looked comfortable. He was running around half the time, it seemed like. There was so much that was made easier for the secondary because of what those front seven for the Vols were able to do. Now, I want to make sure we know the LSU offensive line has been musical chairs as of late. It's like four or five different lineups the entire year. Like every single game, you got somebody new playing tackle and guard. So not necessarily a recipe for success for LSU. We'll get to more of them in a minute. But regardless, you don't get to control who you line up against For Tennessee to play the way they did and answer the call to action in a very big week in what could have been a setup week, you got to be encouraged. That was obviously a big impact in the game. We said it all week. We sat right here. We spoke into this microphone. We said it four or five different ways. LSU, can't start slow. You just can't. Like, we love the heart. We love the grit. We like to think that we're kind of a heart and grit program ourselves. Kind of a blue collar program ourselves, but you can't start slow against Tennessee. Why? Because they score 48 a game. One of the best offenses in the country. If you spot them any points, we've seen your offense have issues. And that was the exact thing that played out to a T yesterday in Death Valley. Opening kick, Jack Besh, balls on the turf. Tennessee ball going that way. Like seconds later, it's points. Bad operation. Can't do it. And ultimately, LSU spotted Tennessee 20. And at that point, it's never over till it's over. But if you are watching the game at home, you're sort of hovering your hand over that remote and saying, there's probably some other games on I could watch. Let's see if LSU pulls an LSU special. But at that point in the game, I mean, LSU signed their own death warrant. Like, that was just the reality of it. You can't spot Usain Bolt 20 meters in a 100-yard dash and expect to catch him. Because that was, in all honesty, the scenario yesterday in Baton Rouge. LSU is very much an unfinished product. We're going to talk about that later in this segment. But as a whole, what they're doing right now is not something Brian Kelly will sign off on going forward. Jaden Daniels... He's got to figure it out. He threw for 300 yards yesterday. His QBR was 56. It's not a winning QBR. Averaged like six yards an attempt. There's a lot of issues at LSU. There's a lot to be sorted out at LSU, but we'll get to more of that in a minute. Going back to the Tennessee side of things, they just consistently dominated their matchups on the outside. It was a big storyline throughout the week. Cedric Tillman, he's questionable, gets the tightrope surgery. Half of us don't even really know what that means, but it's supposed to help with his recovery. Tua had it, so Cedric Tillman got it. It's probably going to be a good thing long-term. Didn't play in the game. So your number one receiver, yet again, is unavailable for Hendon Hooker. And so you kind of start to wonder, well, hey, this LSU secondary, maybe, just maybe, they can stack up okay. They've got some guys that have transferred in, played a lot of football. I mean, we'll see. It's going to be a tall order for these Tennessee-wide receivers Tennessee just dominated. I mean, Jalen Hyatt was unconscious. Brew McCoy played violent football yesterday. I mean, had over 100 yards receiving, was just grown manning those LSU DBs. Like, it, it was unreal how dominant they were on the outside. And the Hedden Hooker didn't actually even light up the stat sheet, threw for less than 300 yards, was really efficient with the football. But I was just so impressed by how open they were able to get themselves. That's going to be crucial for them the rest of the way. That's going to be a big deal to be able to win on the outside because look at who they have next week. Alabama comes to town. They've got their own issues in the secondary. To have so much confidence at this point in the season, to have so many good reps under your belt for guys that would typically be wide receiver two, wide receiver three, it's a very big deal. Also, should be mentioned, Jabari Small ran the ball like a grown man yesterday. When you're running the ball at around four or five yards a carry like he was, that just makes it easier to throw the football. I was extremely impressed by this offense. Yet again, for Tennessee, they're going to be a problem for whoever else has to play them the rest of the way. That includes Alabama. That includes Georgia. So let's talk about this here. Tennessee has exemplified on multiple occasions a killer instinct. We saw them sort of let Florida back in the game at times, but when it's time to win, when it's money on the line, all the chips are stacked, Tennessee, you got to make it happen. They've shown multiple times they're capable of going for the jugular. And in just this season alone, if you were to just silo the 2022 season and say your resume versus Alabama's and Georgia's, I'm looking at Tennessee, they got three ranked wins. Three pretty convincing ranked wins. The pit game went to overtime. They were on the road. I still credit that to be a very credible win. I think it's time we start changing the way that we talk about this team. Because they don't have the skins on the wall historically, meaning the last five to ten years that a Georgia does or an Alabama does. Those coaches have some hardware on their ring. Excuse me, on their fingers. Got some rings on their fingers. Kind of ruined the punchline there. But you hear what I'm saying. They don't have the same goodwill that maybe some of those teams do you kind of trust that Georgia will turn it on you kind of trust that Alabama will turn it on folks Tennessee has got it turned on right now and this thing's humming this thing's operating at full capacity so Bama comes to town this week college game day is gonna be there you got Pat McAfee going nuts Kirk Herbstreit on the call I'm not sure you know if he's on the call but he's on the college game day set it's gonna be a very big week and regardless of what happens in that game I fully expect Tennessee to throw some very solid punches. I don't think it'll be a blowout. I don't think it'll be a wide gap between these two programs. Tennessee's come a long way in two years under Josh Heupel. We got to start talking about them in that same breath with Georgia and Alabama in the 2022 season. Mic drop right there. For LSU, the rest of the year is, hey, do your best. And that sounds sort of condescending. I don't mean it in a condescending way, I assure you. The reality of it is Brian Kelly is here to fix things. You got issues at LSU. Shea Dixon put it very articulately. He's over at our on three LSU site, Bengal Tiger. Go subscribe there. and Get a membership there if you haven't yet. He basically said it how I think a lot of us are thinking about it. LSU has rented a quarterback for this year, getting Jaden Daniels out of the portal. They're going to be better in the future brian kelly is here to get this program headed in the right direction they're going to take their lumps this year you're four and two a lot of teams take their lumps more, much more like a, an oklahoma team does just getting run down each and every week that's not how LSU's looking now they have issues inside of course but they've got a lot of pieces to work with they're always going to be capable of giving you a scare and that's why We talked about Tennessee the way that we talked about them this week, going to Death Valley. That's why the line was at three points for Tennessee. LSU is, in my mind, the equivalent of like a big middle schooler. And you know who I'm talking about. They're like six foot four in the seventh grade. They're touching the rim. They probably got a little bit of facial hair. But the reality is they're still kind of growing into their appendages they're still sort of figuring out how to have the right hand-eye coordination and how to play the sports and and how to operate all of this size that they now have. That's LSU. It's not a matter of talent within that program. They got some guys. They got some youth to go with that, but they got some guys that can play. It's going to be a matter of them figuring out how to work with all this talent they have and doing things Brian Kelly's way. Because dude has proven he's a winner. If nothing else, he's a winner. And he's in a place where he's going to have a lot of resources to be able to win and win consistently in the future. But for 2022, got to take your lumps, got to grow into all that talent. Nonetheless, Tennessee goes to Death Valley, gets a convincing win, 40-13 to over the Tigers. And college game day going back to Knoxville. Just down the road from us, Nick gonna be a good one i'm I'm very very excited for that tennessee and alabama will be a full feature length movie i promise you we will do a full breakdown we'll do a full preview you're gonna want to make sure you're on this channel to get all of your insight for that game all right so subscribe to this channel if you haven't already this is gonna be a fun one to break down alabama welcome texas a&m tuscaloosa yesterday and it was the battle of Jimbo versus Saban after all of the talking that ensued during the offseason. The press conference in Levi's heard around the world talking about NIL, talking about Sabin. Like, if you were living under a rock, I'll give you the condensed version. Nick Sabin, at a function, doesn't know he's on camera, says a and bought all their players that they just recruited in this previous, excuse me in this previous recruiting class. Jimbo Fisher calls a press conference the next day and goes after Sabin and says check on him if you think that he's so great if you think that he does things all the right way check on him this is despicable we have to even have this conversation around 17 year olds and their families taking shots at them basically it felt like we watched their relationship go up in flames before our very eyes now during pregame it looked like they were friendly nothing that would draw too much attention to the Saban versus Jimbo storyline but I think that's something we're going to keep an eye on uh, throughout the rest of this whole NIL saga. Regardless, both teams were playing without their starting quarterback. Max Johnson, broken hand, looks like he's done for the year. Haynes King, we benched you. Just kidding. We want you back in the game, kid. You're starting versus Bama. Jalen Milrow, we talked a lot about Bryce Young. Will he be able to go? Will he not be able to go? Looks like it's going to be at least another week for him. I'd be surprised if we don't see him play against Tennessee, but Jalen Milrow was in the ball—excuse me, was in the ball game yesterday, and I mean, really, where, where do we start? I mean, Alabama, to put it simply, looked very unBama-ish the duration of this game, and not just the turnovers. Like the turnovers, I think you could attribute to, quite frankly, a lot of them were attributed to Jalen Milrow. He had a pick, he had two fumbles, his first start he was sort of getting his feet under him. I don't want to be too harsh there, but the unsportsmanlike penalties, you saw two of those from Bama. Jason McClellan, he coughs it up. They're typically pretty consistent kicker, misses field goals in a very key moment. Like there was a lot of things from Bama where you're just sitting there saying, huh, they're going to turn it on anytime soon or is this just sort of the Alabama team that's showing up today? It didn't feel like a Nick Saban coached Alabama team. So they've got a long way to go. We're going to get to more of that in a segment here, but... Why was it so close? Why was a 24 and a half point spread, a four point game with Texas A&M a chance to win it in the last play? Alabama looked very un-Alabama-ish the duration of the game and Texas A&M credit to them. They caused a lot of chaos. On top of that, I didn't feel like Alabama managed Jalen Milrow very well. I'm not an offensive coordinator. I've never called a play in my life in a college football game. I imagine there's a lot of pressure and a lot of decision-making that goes into what gets called. But with my own two eyes, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, Jalen Milrow is a freak show? Like, legitimately, he belongs on another planet? Why are we having him run Bryce Young's offense? Now, that may not be what it was to a T, but that's how it felt to me. You're asking Jalen Milrow to drop back and throw the football. You're asking him to turn around and hand it Jameer Gibbs. That's all well and good. Have you seen that video of him doing those hang cleans? I don't want to read in too much too of what the internet is throwing my way, but I'm just saying I know a freak when I see one. Let that man do some zone read. Let him do some quarterback design runs. Let him have a quarterback power or two. Let him throw that off play action. There wasn't a lot of that. There wasn't a lot of catering to what I felt like would be Jalen Milro's strengths. And so that was confusing to me. Again, Alabama knows what they're doing. But from where I was sitting, I felt like they very much so could have catered more to what Jalen Milrow does well. Felt like they were trying to run Bryce Young's offense with Jalen Milrow. Was a bit confusing to me. Alabama still has problems in the secondary. And I don't want to put all this on Alabama didn't do this, Alabama didn't do this, and not give Texas a any credit. But Alabama, with a 24-and-a-half-point spread, like some things you have to do poorly for that to be a four-point game. And that was the case. Now, going back to A&M, they had some receivers make plays. Evan Stewart, eight catches, over 100 yards. He's a dog. Dude's only a freshman. I mean, he was at prom not too long ago at this point last year. And he had some plays in this game where you're just looking like, man, if people still had posters, if those were still a thing that people hung on their wall, Evan Stewart put a few Alabama DBs on posters. And consistently, he made plays to the same token. There were a lot of plays where we saw Alabama just hanging on receivers and drawing pass interference penalties. This is not the first time we've seen this. Remember the Texas game not too long ago? P.I. after P.I., Quinn Ewers or Hudson Card, whoever it was, is throwing up a 50-50 ball, and likely there's a flag coming down or that Texas Receiver is coming down with the ball. That was kind of the same sentiment. You got Tennessee next week, Bama. That can't be the way that you go about this game. That can't be the storyline next week. Otherwise, we we'll are having another conversation here on Sunday talking about, wow, how Tennessee pull off that upset? I'm not saying it's the case. I'm saying there's something to get shirt up if you're an Alabama defensive back. Now, it wasn't all bad. Obviously, still made the play to win the game on the last play. Tyrion Arnold is a dude. There's not all just bad in that secondary is a lot of things that you can pull from but i'm just saying there's a lot that you got to get figured out as well i mean they really could have won the game you have a, a safety tugging on a receiver downfield to make it a game at the very end to draw a pass interference to, to give texas a&m a chance to win the game it's concerning we keep seeing the same thing from the secondary it's a little bit concerning at the end of the day though alabama has jameer gibbs And credit to that offensive line, credit Jameer Gibbs. They leaned on him a lot, and for good reason. He toted the rock to the tune of 150 plus yards, and that was what allowed this offense to consistently stay on schedule. Took pressure off Jalen Milrow, allowed the rest of the offense to open up. That was the difference maker for them. Because when I'm looking at Alabama in a more, in a much more broad sense, I think we see two things. One. This Alabama team is still a long way off from where Nick Saban expects them to be. And they will, in my mind, continue to trend that way. I think they'll still make progress to get there. But make no mistake about it. They're not there yet. They typically play their best ball in November and into the bowl season. They're not there yet. On top of that, Bryce Young. We saw just how much he means to that team. You're saying, no, duh, he's got a Heisman Trophy on his mantle, my guy. Of course he means a lot to this team. Yeah, I understand that. But Bryce Young really seems like he's lifting a lot more of that load than maybe some of us anticipated. Because he was, honestly, I mean, let's talk about this team as a whole. There was much less composure from this team watching them play yesterday. So that concerned me a little bit. You hope to get him back sooner. You don't anticipate having to play without Bryce Young when you kick off against Tennessee, or whoever it is in a big game, but we saw just how much of an impact Number Nine makes for them when he's in the game. So for A and M now, bye week, and the noise around Jimbo Fisher is just going to go like this. You just kind of turn that dial up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and it's just going to be all around them. He's not going to get fired. A and M's got a lot of money. They don't want to spend that much money to get him out the door. I don't think they want to get him out the door to begin with. We sat right here on this desk and told you we think AM is going to go eight and four this year. And we got a lot of you wonderful people in the comment section telling us that you felt otherwise, to put it kindly. AM is going to be okay in the future, in my opinion. They got to make some very big changes, but I think they're going to be okay because they have so much talent. Anytime you have talent, you have a starting point. Now, what's 2022 going to look like for them the rest of the way? I still think eight and four, seven and five is a pretty realistic expectation, to be honest with you, especially with Hanks King playing quarterback. But going back to what I said about talent, if they didn't have guys on this program, you could have more concern. If you don't have talent, then you can start pounding the alarm. Anytime you have talent, it means you have the ingredients. It means you have square one taken care of. Now you have to develop that talent, have to put it in position to succeed, have to execute in situations makes it a lot easier when you got guys so i still think they're a year away from living up to what i think a lot of the national types with blue checks next to their name want to talk about but for 2022 you're gonna have to hear crazy people calling into paul feinbaum show saying egregious things and you're gonna have to live with the overrated label around this program the rest of the way is it fair it's not for me to say is it true Probably so. Again, Alabama finds a way to win. They survived setup Saturday getting a big-time win over Texas A&M in the Jimbo versus Sabin Bull, 24-20. to i tell you what. They gave you the whole seed, though. You only needed the edge, Nick. It, I mean, it was, it was a good one. It was a very, very good game. And credit to Haynes King. He played a lot better than I thought he'd be able to. Credit his receivers for making big plays for him really all game long. So... Haynes King's going to be the guy it looks like they ride with the rest of the way. We have 146 of you watching. One, thank you. Two, subscribe to the channel. It's that little button right below where the video is. It helps us do more of what you want to see. Again, y'all are the ones that make this show happen. You drive the show. If you like something and you reflect to us in the numbers that you like something, we're going to do more of it. We're going to be able to get better numbers, a better gauge for what you like if you're subscribed to the channel, all right? Appreciate you in advance. We love y'all. How about USC? Just how about the Trojans? They just continue to find ways to get it done. And to be honest with you, I wasn't sure they'd be able to do it. I wasn't sure they'd be undefeated by this point in the year. Set up Saturday, I was looking right at USC. Because they played a Washington State team with a really talented quarterback. A team that really should be undefeated. I mean, to call a spade a spade, they should have beat Oregon in that game. Had Oregon dead to rights, let it back in the game. They are who we thought they are. They are who we thought they were, however that quote goes. USC now has a chance to go to Utah this coming week and make a statement to the rest of the country because I had this game circled. A lot of you know that I had this game circled as a fork in the road for USC season, and Full transparency, I expected Utah to be undefeated or a one-loss team at this point in the year. They now have two L's. Got one to UCLA, got one from Florida. And it's looking more and more like if you're asking for a team from the Pac-12 to make the college football playoff, your money's probably riding with the Trojans. And if it's not riding with the Trojans, well, you just got to look across town over there in, uh, in Westwood and say, hey, DTR, Chip Kelly, y'all going to run the table? Y'all going to win the Pac-12 undefeated and play for the college ball playoff? Because make no mistake, that's what would have to happen for a Pac-12 team to get into the college football playoff. Whether it's fair or not, that's the connotation around the country. They play really late. There is a narrative around the talent that's in the Pac-12. Again, whether it's fair or not, whether we believe it or not, that's the way it is. Got to be undefeated at the end of the year to make it into the dance. And so for USC, we were talking about, hey, they might have to beat Utah twice. Forget all that. They might have to play UCLA twice, which how much fun would that be to see a rivalry against Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly back-to-back games? I would absolutely love that. But the thing that's been most impressive for me about USC and the thing that I questioned the most about them to begin the year was, can they win tough? Like, we know they're going to score a lot of points. We know they've got one of the best quarterbacks in the game, probably the most talented player in the game in Caleb Williams. We know they're going to score in bunches. What happens when they can't? There were times last night where USC was going three and out. I mean, Washington State had them on the ropes. Washington State was up at multiple points in this game. For USC to collect themselves, for the defense to step up and make plays, that's now the second time we've seen that from them. Saw it against Oregon State, saw it last night against Washington State. I am continuing to be sold on this defense. Now, I still think Utah is going to be a really tough test for them because of the brand of football they play. USC has shown they have issues stopping the run. They've also shown that they have a really nice knack for taking the football away on defense. So if they can continue to create turnovers, which I don't know you always want to bank on, if they create turnovers, they're going to go as far as they want to go. And they will be on a collision course with UCLA. So, with that being said, I'll return back to the metaphor I used for this USC team at the beginning of the year. When you get a, a chair from Ikea and you open it up, you see a whole lot of pieces. And your first thought is, okay, I'll, I'll put this together in two hours. It'll take me two hours, tops, hour and a half to get it done. And that's what USC has, ton of pieces. Jordan Addison, Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, Travis Dial. We go down the list here, got a lot of pieces. And then you go to two hours, and it gets to four hours, and the chair is still tough to put together. It's not the piece's fault. It's just a matter of putting them together. It's a matter of them all working together and fitting together properly to make the product look like what it's supposed to look like, what it can look like. And to USC, to this point in the year, they are a lot further along than I had anticipated from this program. And so if the Pac-12 is going to make the playoff, make no mistake about it, it is going to be the Trojans or the Bruins. But I strongly lead towards USC because of what they have offensively and because of the way they have proven now on multiple occasions, they can win tough. Something tells me they're going to have to win tough one more time against Utah this coming week. But the Trojans are set up to do some good things later this year, maybe even early next year. Who knows? But a big win last night against Washington State, 30-14. to 14. The party is on in Los Angeles. Absolutely love it. All right. Again, we're going to do this segment, and then we're going to go to the party section. So if you haven't yet, drop a question in there. Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue, is going to jump on the camera here in just a few minutes. Read off your questions. So make sure you get those in right now so we can include you in the show. The back and forth, the community that we've created here is what makes this so special. We want you a part of it. So go ahead and let your thoughts be made known in the live chat. A new week means a new top six, top four college football playoff rankings. And there has been some changes. This is not going to be the situation where we just sort of read off what we had last week and tell you, hey, business as usual, go on about your day. We got some shakeups here. And the college football playoff committee, quite frankly, I don't agree with how they do it. They're going to wait until November to tell you what they think. We're going to tell you the real right now, and we're going to get into it going from six all the way up to one, start with our first two out, work into the top four, and give you our unfiltered thoughts on these programs and how this college football playoff race stands right now. Now, I say this every single time. I'll say it again. These will look different in a few weeks than they do today. So if your program isn't on here, it's okay. There's a lot of ball left to be played. If your program is lower than you would like them to be. Odds are they have some big games coming up. They're going to have a chance to move up big time. So the regular season has a funny way of always getting, in my opinion, the best teams in position to compete for the playoff. I'll leave it at that. At number six, down from a spot a week ago, week ago, we got Michigan. Michigan beat Indiana 31 to 10. They played with their food a little bit in the first half. I understand Mike Hart had a scare on the sideline. I don't want to downplay that. I think that impacts the team's psyche. But with what we expect from Michigan, would have liked to see them be a little bit more dominant throughout four quarters. Now, they still control their own destiny, obviously, having not lost a game yet. They have a huge game this coming week with Penn State at home. If they win that game, we'll see how they shake out in the rankings based on what everybody else does throughout the college football landscape. But this will be a very telling test for Michigan because they've played some teams that are the Power 5 caliber. They've had some sneaky games going to Iowa. I'm telling you, Penn State is going to be the game that sort of peels back the curtain on Michigan and lets us know exactly just how good they can be and just how heavily they compete for the college football playoff. They're at number six for us this week. At number five, a team that jumped two spots from a week ago, In fact, they were at number seven for us, so we didn't even talk about them this time last week. The Tennessee Volunteers. Rocky Top is on top right now, and they are rolling. Three, count them, three ranked wins. I'd put their resume up against just about anybody in the country right now. Looked dominant against LSU, like we already talked about on this program, 40-13. to They can score with anybody. Now, they play Bama this coming week. College Game Day's popping off again in Knoxville. Hope coach Corso's there. You'll have Kirk Herbstreit there. You got Pat McAfee there. You might even have the Bear there. It's going to be a good time in Knoxville. That game will be impactful to say the least for Tennessee and what they do the rest of the season. So very very excited for that game. There is no way to overstate my excitement for that game. There's no way to overstate the implications for that game for both teams. But for Tennessee, they are knocking on the doorstep. Don't be surprised if they kick that thing down. At number four, same spot they were a week ago. We got Clemson, 31-3 to over Boston College at Boston College. Always impressive. I like where they are. No need to really change them just yet. Now, they go to Florida State this coming week. And the whole conversation around Clemson obviously goes back to DJ. He's proven the haters wrong multiple times. Would have liked to see him be just a touch more efficient yesterday, like 56% passing. I'm not overly concerned. He's still the guy for them. Gives them the best chance to win. And you just hope that he continues to progress and play the way that he has. Because if he reversed to 2021, DJ, well, then it can all fall apart real quick. But as of this week, Clemson stays number four for us in our college football playoff rankings. At number three, same spot as a week ago, Georgia. Now they handled Auburn. 42-10, to a little bit slower start than you would like. You'd like to see them be dominant the entirety of the game. They were up only 14-0 to at half. I'm not freaking out too much about it because we know that Georgia has that on switch. When they flip it on, they're dangerous. And the thing that concerns me a little bit is we have seen Georgia at many a time have that switch only like halfway on. Like, yeah, the defense plays well. Offense will sort of score here and there, but they're not just dominant. Like that team that we saw week one against Oregon that did just unspeakable things to the Ducks in Mercedes Benz, that's the team that I think is very much still out there. And so maybe it's a matter of you need a logo to get your attention. Maybe it's a matter of still gaining experience on the defensive side of things or having somebody on the outside at receiver step up. I think it's still out there. I think they're capable, but. I need to see a little bit more dominance from them. And you're saying 42-10, they covered the spread. You want to see more than that? Yeah, I do. It's the top three teams in the country, all right? We're not saying they're a number 24-ranked team. I'm just saying for them to get past these other top two teams, I'd like to see a little bit more of a definitive win. Now, they have some big games coming up. They play Florida, and they get Tennessee at home. Before that, they have Vanderbilt, and they have a bye. So Florida and Tennessee will be the two big games where I'm saying, all right, Georgia. You got the logos that you want. You probably have the rivalries that you want. Turn it on. Show us something. Excited to watch those games. But again, Georgia at number three for us this week in our rankings. At number two, we got Alabama. Don't want to spend too much time on this. We already talked about them. 124 to 20 over Texas A&M. When they get Bryce Young back, that'll be a very big deal. They're down a spot from last week. They were number one last week. They're now number two. And I'm not knocking them so much for not having Bryce Young. I'm knocking them because of what we saw in the secondary, because of what we saw on special teams, and because of what we saw them not do that looked Bama-like, if that makes sense. Now, maybe you say, well, you get Bryce Young back and that changes the whole conversation. That's fair, but guess what? We're going to get to see. Because like we already mentioned, they go to Knoxville this week to have themselves a date with the Vols. So that'll tell us a lot. After that, they get Mississippi State, get a bye week, and then go to LSU. LSU. So we're going to find out a lot about Alabama here these next few weeks starting with this game against Tennessee, but for us, they move from number one to number two. So the number one team in the country for us is the most dominant football team so far, the most consistent football team so far. They don't play in the SEC. Quite frankly, I don't care. The Ohio State Buckeyes, for me, this week are the best team in the country. And going back to what I said about the SEC, Ohio State doesn't get to control that they don't get to control that they don't play you know Florida this week or they don't they don't play Tennessee this week they're just taking care of business and quite frankly we've seen Georgia have issues we've seen Alabama have issues i haven't seen Ohio state really have issues and we get some comments in our comment section saying hey you don't talk about ohio state enough i'm saying what do you want me to talk about you want me to break down their 40-down to 20 win over michigan state i feel like that's probably wasting your time and my time right When there's something to talk about with this team, we're going to talk about it. But for us this week, number one team in the country. Now, they go into a bye this following week. And don't be surprised if whoever wins that Tennessee-Alabama game, whatever the outcome of that game is, don't be surprised if that impacts where Ohio State stands this coming week, all right? They don't control the fact they don't play next week. But let's just say if Alabama for whatever reason, goes out, has a phenomenal game against Tennessee, they will jump Ohio State with the bye week, all right? Just want to make sure that disclaimer is out there. But to recap, at number six, we got Michigan. Number five, we have Tennessee. Number four, we have Clemson. Our third best team in the country is Georgia. Number two, we have Alabama down a spot from last week. And the new number one team for us here on the Hard Count, the People Show, is the Ohio State Buckeyes. For what it's worth, USC is number seven team. It's all going to come out in the wash. I love that. The college football playoff is a very real part of this season. Like the whole regular season is a beautiful thing. We love it so much. I love so much that the regular season impacts the college football playoff. I'm not buying into the whole who's in mantra that some people try and sell you, but I am saying the regular season is beautiful because of the way that it impacts the playoff and the fact that we can talk about those rankings changing from week to week. I'll leave it at that. So, now it is time for the best part of the entire show for multiple reasons. One, because you get to join the show, and that is what makes this whole thing operate, what makes this whole thing run. And in addition to that, it is the best part of the show because you get to see the most beautiful face on camera that is involved with the hard count. It's not me. Breaking news. Welcome now to the show, the man and the myth, the legend, Nicholas Brake. Nick, how we doing, my man? Welcome Dude. in.
0: Dude, every week the intro gets a little better. Um, We're (laughs) building towards it, man. I'm honored. I'm honored to be here, guys. It's it's all true. It all fits. (laughs) Okay, JD. uh, Got a couple questions so far. We're gonna start with Jose Martinez. He says, "What are your predictions uh, so far for the Big Twelve race?"
1: Yeah, great question. The Big Twelve race, like we mentioned, absolutely gladiator style right now. If I had to invest a percentage of money into let's say three teams. We did a segment on this earlier on the channel. I think Baylor's team to watch because of how dangerous they can be with Dave Aranda, head coach. I think they got the right guy at quarterback and their best football, in my opinion, is still in front of them. I like how a rematch could ship up with them in Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, I think you have to look at because of just the fact they haven't lost yet. I don't trust Spencer Sanders. I've seen it too many times. He turns the ball over in crucial situations, but right now, they're the top dog. They're undefeated. I think if I had to pick a Big 12 championship game today, I would predict a rematch of Oklahoma State and Baylor. Now, Kansas State, you got to watch. TCU, you got to watch. Texas, you got to watch. But as of today, those two teams, I think, have the staying power to potentially line it up again in the Big 12 title game. Now, we're saying that in week six today. There's a very real possibility we say a different thing next week because Texas looked real, real good. Want to see more consistency from them in the weeks to come, because Texas gets to play Baylor here pretty soon. But if I had to pick today, you asked for prediction, Baylor-Oklahoma State lined it up again in Jerry World. Love it, though. Great question, Jose. Love it, Nick. What else we got, Big Dog?
0: Okay, so I haven't proofreaded this one, proofread this one, I love so it. who knows what it is. Uh, it. it is from Jason Calhoun. He says, Hooker has a game like he did against Florida Saturday. Is he the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman?
1: I think he's the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman right now. I mean, he oh, has just wow. been dynamite throughout the entire year. That's not a knock on Bryce Young. Bryce Young didn't play last week, but you talk about being the best player on the best team. Take Hendon Hooker off Tennessee, and they may have two losses. And that's not to knock what else they have on this program, but just how much he means to them and the way that he's played so far. I mean, he has been dynamite. And so I am really excited to see what he does this week against Alabama. But as a whole, Hendon Hooker for me today. If I had to give out the award, it would go to him. So a game against Alabama, if he balls out, it, it, I mean the stakes just keep going higher and higher. And pressure is privilege. Excuse me, pressure is privilege for Tennessee. They continue to earn more pressure, and Hennon Hooker is earning a lot of eyeballs on him, including eyeballs from Heisman voters. But a great question nonetheless.
0: Okay, hey, let's go to the next one. Um, this is gonna stay sort of uh, in the same ballpark. Alabama plays. Tennessee this week. Uh, John Boer is asking about the Crimson Tide. He says, do you think Alabama can be phased by a sold-out Nealon and thoughts on the Tillman injury?
1: Uh, The short answer is, can they be phased? Absolutely. We'll learn a lot about their maturity because Alabama teams from Nick Saban, you typically sort of just assimilate them to being just cold-blooded business. Like, that wasn't the kind of program we saw play against Texas A&M in Tuscaloosa. So can they be phased? For sure. But I think more so it'll come down to what happens between the white lines. Alabama just has so much talent. Cedric Tillman, uh, I don't have any information that would give us a lean one way or the other. All I can say is the tightrope surgery is, in principle, supposed to help someone recover quicker. And you would imagine he got that tightrope surgery to recover quicker for this game in particular. So if he doesn't play, I would be transparently a little bit surprised. But if he does play, that adds just another head to the monster that is the wide receiving core for Tennessee with what we saw from Hyatt, what we saw from Brew McCoy. So I'm fired up for that game. It'll be a very good one. Anticipate Neyland being rocking, how much it impacts a team like Alabama. I think if Bryce Young's in the game, you like her chances a lot more and feel a lot more composed. But it'll be a good one. I'm fired up for that one. I hope Cedric Tillman plays.
0: I like this question. This is from Daniel or Daniel. Uh, look, I might not get this right. Uh, Beerwaltz. He says, "Predictions on the Pac-12 championship. Uh, how do the U- how does Utah's loss impacts USC's national perception depending on the outcome of this game?" Yeah. So to
1: start with that, talking about the national perception for USC versus Utah, this game to me doesn't lose any of its shine. I think Utah fell suspect to the setup Saturday that we just talked about with UCLA kind of having their way. I think from a prediction standpoint, I think it's USC and UCLA set to tee it up twice, as will happen probably in the Pac-12 championship game. But going back to this USC-Utah matchup, Utah presents so much of what could be potentially the kryptonite for USC. They run the ball, they play tough in the trenches, which we've seen USC struggle with at times. They played really tough against Stanford, They beat Stanford pretty handily, but Stanford ran the ball really, really effectively. So if you're USC and you want to be the big dog, you got to beat the big dog. And right now in the Pac-12, the big dog is Utah from a year ago. I know they've got a couple losses on the docket, but I promise you Utah at home will be ready to play against USC. So that would validate a lot of things for USC, I think, and it would honestly give me much more comfort about USC being a potential playoff team from the Pac-12. Love okay. that, though. That's a great question. I'm excited to watch that one. I love that our viewers are asking about that because that just shows we got people that are locked in and clocked in at Josh Newberg uh, to what's going on <laughs> in the college football landscape.
0: Yeah, man. I, I like the Pac-12 questions, man. You know, we need to ask about everything. Everyone so start asking some G5 questions. Let's see how much J.D. knows.
1: That's what I'm saying. Are we going to get some Western Kentucky love on here, man? You got your <laughs> guy Zappy. You got in the game today? I mean, more than got in the game started for the Patriots today. Are we going to get some... Some Western Kentucky love on the show here soon, or what's the
0: deal? Look, my Hilltoppers doing well in the NFL. That's my, that's my school, my alma mater, not doing so well right now. Two-game losing skid, uh, losing to a very good UTSA yesterday, but nonetheless, a loss is a loss. Oh, we'll get one more question. How's love that? I absolutely love it. Okay, Sumner Darlington says, Thoughts on Jalen Hyatt being the best wide receiver in the SEC?
1: Wow, so Jalen Hyatt, for those of you that live under a rock, popped yesterday. Had a huge game, two receiving touchdowns. You saw the killer instinct from the Tennessee offense, and a lot of those were capitalizing off of what Jalen Hyatt did deep. Is he the best receiver in the SEC? I mean, that's, that's a high praise. I think he's probably got some better football in front of him. I think Brew McCoy had a better stat line yesterday, but just to have Jalen Hyatt as a potential option for Hendon Hooker, when Cedric Tillman does get back, like Jalen Hyatt is probably the number two, number three receiver on that roster. For him to be number two, number three, just says something about Tennessee as a whole. So best receiver in the SEC. You probably have a few more names you're listed off before Jalen Hyatt, but one of the better performances yesterday across the SEC. How's that? Especially getting in the end zone more than once. Uh, a nice little toy for Hendon Hooker. But we love Jalen Hyatt on this program. Don't think he's the best receiver in the SEC. It's a good question, though, Nick. I like it.
0: Does, yeah. does that about do it for the Q? Well, we've got some more... Um... You want want to do one more? Let's do one more. We have time. Okay. Well, yeah, John Wesley's been asking a lot of questions, so we're going to get him involved. Let's do it. So we'll go up a little bit. So you kind of answered this a little bit. Do you think Alabama needs a healthy Bryce Young, or do you think they can win uh, with a backup quarterback against Tennessee?
1: Yeah, John. First of all, closed mouths don't get fed. So shout out, John, for being consistent in the queue like it sounds like you are. (laughs) To answer your question, uh, do they need a healthy Bryce Young? Absolutely. Jalen Milrow, for as freakish as he is, doesn't look like they want to call the offense differently for him. Tennessee's going to score a lot of points. You can't throw for 100 yards, 111 yards, whatever it was, turn the ball over multiple times for Jalen Milrow and expect to beat Tennessee. There's just too much they're going to make you pay for if you do something like that. So with that being said... I think you probably do get Bryce Young back this week. That's the way that people are talking around Alabama. That's the way that Nick Saban's talking about his program going into the Tennessee week after last night's game. I think you get him back, but if you don't have him back, it's, it's going to be a long day in Knoxville. I'll just leave it at that. I love it. Though. Great question, John. Does that do it for us, Big Nick?
0: That does it. Okay. Um, well, we have one more that came in. let uh, do, do it. Look. Drago? I'm just going to say it's Drago. It's I I don't think there's enough fouls to really make a word, but they ask if Tennessee and Michigan ever played, uh, who do you think would win? If Tennessee and
1: Michigan played? I love the theoretical. That's a, that's a great question. That's a good thought exercise. If they played, who would win? Well, I've said it already. I've just been enormously impressed with Tennessee and the maturity they've exemplified on multiple occasions. Michigan has, I think, looked at times a little bit pedestrian maybe a little bit bored we saw Maryland push them a little bit we saw Indiana play them tight yesterday JJ McCarthy is going to be really good he's your starting quarterback for a reason so much potential so much excitement around the program what the offense can be with him but I just think Tennessee transparently is really really dangerous and is playing some of the best football right now so if you told me hey Michigan and Tennessee are set to line it up Alabama bowed out who's going to win I would imagine Tennessee is, depending on where that game is played, uh, the line's close. I'll just say that. I would favor Tennessee, though, in that game, and that'd be a fun bowl game to watch, though. So who knows? Maybe they'll meet in the playoff. Maybe they'll meet in the New Year's Six Bowl, but I'd love to watch that matchup. Short answer, we like Tennessee. Well, that just about does it for us here tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have had over 100 of you watching throughout the duration of this show and we cannot thank you enough y'all have been incredible as we have continued to grow this platform continue to grow this channel and i'll tell you a secret it has nothing to do with the guy who's behind the mic it has nothing to do with all of the flashy graphics we put up those are all a blast or something that we love to do when we get paid to do believe it or not but it's all for not if we don't have folks like y'all watching this show adding in the live chat, getting in the comment section, jumping on here in the party with us on Sunday nights. Y'all make this a reality. Y'all make this so fun. And so we cannot thank you enough for that. So you better believe we are not stopping now. It's midway through the season. We just got to do this. Foot down on the gas pedal a little bit more. Continue to rev the engine. The RPM is a little bit higher. Got to finish strong. All right. First half's done. Second half defines who you are. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time.